0: It's the beginning of the fucking most like one of the most obnoxious seasons of the of the year,
1: yeah, tell me about it i've I've been in, you know, um, <laughs> retail for twenty years or something like that.
0: It is not fun.
1: <laughs> no, it's not.
0: I'm on like the other side of it because I work in the alcohol industry, and I do, oh, I do order processing, and it's just like, it's a nightmare too.
1: <laughs> sure. I worked at Whole Foods once for a holiday season and the beer the beer business that we did was insane at that store. I'm very familiar with it.
0: Yeah, I do wine and it's just like insane. It's just ridiculous. It's strange. It's kind of like, it's really not. It, it is like the music industry in some ways. It's definitely way more lawless, but the fact that there's just so much like, Just straight up like shady behavior happening left and right. And no one seems to give a shit up until now, obviously. You know, (laughs) it took Taylor Swift.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, the ticketing industry.
0: Yeah, just as like a, you know, like just a a broad example.
1: Well, there'll be little spurts, right? Of like, oh, um, you know, uh, Pearl Jam wanted to like try to take them on. And that worked out okay for a little while for them. I thought actually Nine Inch Nails did a cool thing that he was, he did a tour where it was like physical sales only.
0: Yeah, I think I went to maybe one of those. I know my friend did.
1: I like that's the way to do it. That's the only way to do it. I mean, it's really for an artist that has clout to to be able to do that, you know, like rather than somebody who is like (laughs) physical sales only and Ticketmaster can just go, no.
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i kept all my ticket stubs even from Ticketmaster. they were cool
1: i i still have a lot and when it's when there is the option i i order them that way still i used to do that
0: and then it just kind of disappeared and now like you know post pandemic there's just like no physical period like it's just gone it's so it's like kind (laughs) of a bummer because like i liked getting those things in the mail you know, sometimes and, and that's the thing is like I've gone and seen so many bands now that I'm like, I don't listen to a lot of these bands anymore. I wish I had a physical ticket that said I went to go see like I don't fucking <laughs> know, like like merciful fate. I would love to have a ticket that said, I saw merciful fate. And now sure. I can, I'm just like I'm relying on the internet to prove that I saw merciful fate.
1: <laughs> well, what you what you do is you just keep the you just keep the wristband. You just write like merciful fate on the back of the wristband. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, if you're, really, if you're really, you know, gonna be whatever about it, I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's actually a good one. I, I, I do. I have some wristbands.
1: I guess I had a friend um, who had like he kept something from every concert he ever went to, so some of that was like a flyer for like another show. <laughs> or, <laughs> oh no! I'm. I
0: that was good. <laughs> those don't usually last too long <laughs> uh, especially if it's like for some show that's just so not what I just saw Like, oh, really? I'm like oh yeah man Fucking, that was so much fun to go see I Hate God and then you're like hey hot new show on Friday and I'm like cool what is this
1: nope <laughs> nope that's a nope is what that is
0: <laughs> were you at this show just
1: now I'm sorry
0: Join me as we look back on the rich history of Doom Metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever other shady podcast streaming app you want to use. And if you have a question or whatever. You can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at at gmail.com. During the first age of Middle-earth, Turgon, the elven king of Gondolin, forged a sword that he named Glamdring. He wielded it in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, which is maybe the most dramatic title for a battle ever, and then later during the fall of Gondolin. For over 6,000 years, Glamdring went missing, being salvaged and surviving the War of Wrath until Gandalf the Grey found it in a troll cave in Eriador during events that we simple folk know as The Hobbit. He claimed it for himself, and with Glamdring, Gandalf slew the great goblin shortly thereafter in Goblin Town before he and Thorne Oakenshield routed his underlings. Gandalf continued to use Glamdring through the events of the War of the Ring, and it was called Beater by the Orcs of the Misty Mountains. Since then, it has been acquired by a new band of storytellers who go by the name it is also known by, Fohammer. And joining me from Fohammer is Jay Cardinal, who does bass and vocals in the band. Welcome, Jay.
1: Hey, Dylan, how are you?
0: I hope my Lord of the Rings uh, uh, knowledge was okay.
1: (laughs) That was actually great. That was really well done. Um, I I mean, thoroughly researched I, I don't know when I would even have pulled all those names out of my hat, but um,
0: <laughs> I mean, look—it does help that there's a very detailed Lord of the Rings Wikipedia out there.
1: <laughs> well, I do have this amp literally right behind me. It says Glamdring on it. Right? There, there it is. See yeah. that? Um, but I, I actually play guitar in the band. Now.
0: Oh, you do play? God damn
1: it! <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's okay because
0: metal archives you really you did it to me tonight you, you really did me dirty tonight
1: I, you know, I looked at our metal archives and you have to look very closely to see that it's only listed by album if you if you look that way
0: Oh, maybe that's what happened I don't
1: have the ability to edit our own <laughs> metal archives so I have to leave that up to whichever entity is doing that I think it's Chris from DC Heavy Metal who who has so magnanimously put us on there and kept it up to date with our our goings on?
0: I, I just always assumed Metal Archives wasn't actually created by a person. It just kind of became into existence from the internet.
1: It's the AI. Right? Yeah,
0: it was like the it was like the first AI like construct that <laughs> and it, and and was a useful purpose.
1: <laughs> well, I feel I swear I've read an interview with those guys though. I don't I, I can't name them by name, but they put all those cat photos up that one time. So they yes, can't be that was mad. very funny. <laughs> Anybody who's a fan of cats is a friend of mine. So
0: well, you said you're a vet, right?
1: I'm not a vet, but I work for a vet. Oh, you work uh,
0: for a vet, okay.
1: I'm just in the industry, yeah. Okay,
0: understood. Well, anyway, uh asterisk Jay actually plays guitar <laughs> in the band as well um but foehammer has a sophomore album out called monumentum came out on november 18th and uh it's heavy as fuck if you aren't familiar with them they're based out of virginia you've been around for uh almost like 10 years now i think uh so like what are your earliest experiences with music and what kind of like i guess we'll get to like what drew you to eventually putting foehammer Fo- together
1: well truthfully Despite the fact that I'm kind of from D.C., Maryland area, my first exposure to anything sort of like in the, what do you say, like crushing world of music, slower, heavier stuff, Uh, my friends and I would get copies of uh, Maximum Rock and Roll back in the day. And um, that was when there was a lot of coverage of labels like Slap-A-Ham, Bovine Records, rhetoric records there's others i mean you could go on for days right but bands like i don't know grief news Uh corrupted sort of stood out to me from like where you'd say like most of the stuff on those labels was sort of like faster grindcore or power violence or thrash or that kind of stuff but it seemed like there was always some bands lurking around in the corners of that scene That we're doing like this super slow punishing thing that's not you know what i don't know it's doom but it's not blues based doom (laughs)
0: right yeah it's it's not groove based it's uh evil based
1: (laughs) (laughs) right the evil stuff is what really i got into first and then it wasn't really until my sort of 20s that i got more into like the stoner rock or maryland doom kind of stuff as just kind of being exposed to it through the scene and you know i guess being of an age where you can go to places that serve alcohol
0: did you have any like childhood experiences uh like did you were you raised musically at all like did you have a musical childhood or was it like did you have to find that on your own
1: uh actually very much so my parents were both musicians um as well as my sister is a musician as well though um, none of them really did it my, professionally. Uh, my dad did in a certain respect. He like tuned pipe organs for a while, and my mother was in the um, like Alexandria Symphony, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, which is here near D.C. for probably the entire time I was in the womb. So I definitely was exposed to it from a young age. But I was actually interestingly, my parents were pretty strict, and I wasn't allowed to really listen to anything but classical until i was like fully a teenager so it did actually have an effect that kind of when i was allowed to start to branch out and and seek out my own music i very quickly turned to like underground you know harsher sounds like industrial and metal but you know obviously the access that you have at age 14 like you know is pretty small right but i mean i just immediately started digging
0: so you talked about like you know finding the the record labels and that was sort of like uh, how you discovered more metal stuff kind of like by way of like power violence and you know hardcore grind and shit like that. Was there like a specific album that you would consider like kind of a landmark for you that made you start thinking about uh, this stuff a little bit differently?
1: I have to think about that for a moment. but um, definitely news erode the person like i got a cdr of that from them on tour and it was you know the thing to me that's really interesting is they're able to write these songs that sound really really epic but then you look at them and it's like oh it's only four minutes long i still don't really know how they do that i can't i can't seem to write a song that's under like 10 minutes to save my life (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know so um also i mean what corrupted first seven inch or, like, the grief-corrupted split, or um, sleeps. Honestly, uh, everybody's all about sleep, right? But really, like, volume one, it's going to sound like I'm I'm lying about that. But that was honestly the first one.
0: (laughs) Wow, dude. You're, like, probably the first person to talk about that. I mean, it seems like ever, at least on this podcast. No one talks about the first record.
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody's all about Holy Mountain, but I always – honestly think thought holy mountain was like a kind of a weird release but that's not to say that volume one is not weird but that was the first one that me and my friends heard and you know it's it's good weird <laughs> you know like it's got that something about the way the vocals are are enunciated and the way the riffs are played it's just got this weird kind of demented vibe to it
0: Oh yeah. It's like, you can tell that they didn't really know what the fuck they were doing. (laughs) You know, I think that's part of it. So I listened to it. It's been a long time since I have like listened to it. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with Holy Mountain and, uh, the sciences. I remember not really liking it that much, you know, I kind of was just like, man, this is like almost like a chore to get through, but maybe I should go back and check it out and like, you know, see what it's about. It does have a cool album cover though. I like that they had like a, Fucking Dolly on there.
1: <laughs> I don't like, want to
0: say actually that it's not the first time that's come up. I just feel like it's the first time in a long time.
1: That's like the lowest possible effort album cover, right? We're like, oh, well, we're going to use this Dolly painting. <laughs> like, we're well, just this paint. oh, I don't know. It's cool. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think that album is is really killer track to track, but it's hard for me to separate it from my nostalgia for it. And, you know, you consume things differently when you're a teenager versus, you know, right now I'm 42. When you have time to just, well, every day after I get home from school, I'm going to listen to this album again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> versus now you're like, well, I can listen to any of like thousands of metal albums that just came out you know the past two months or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I you know, sometimes stuff that you're like, oh, wow, somehow this popped up on streaming. I don't even know how. This is like... this is just like some obscure band from like Switzerland that put out like one record, (laughs) you know, before Fohammer, I was wondering if you could uh, talk about some of the other bands you've been involved with. I feel like I saw that you were involved with a band called the Bible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we did have a band called the Bible at one time. I'm not speaking
0: with the creator of the Bible, am I?
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) in a manner
0: of speaking, yes.
1: well well, i mean my idea of it was well that that okay how do i how do i get into that that band was a band where we did weird heavy covers of soul and funk and whatever else we felt like we did like a Danzig tune and like a talking heads tune but all covers, but like weird, weirded up kind of, <laughs> you know, distorted bass. And I don't know, Lineup for that band shifted a lot over the years. And so my idea with that was it was the Bible of rock and soul. But anyway, that band became another band that technically still exists, but has been on hiatus for a little bit called Black Dominia, which is more of like a, let's say, like free jazz stoner doom, dub, freak out stuff. I don't know. It's all improv. So we improvise every time we play. If it's live or if it's practice, we've never written a song. We just we just falls to the wall, improv it every time. Wow, that's Um, pretty cool. That's been on hiatus since the pandemic. We just haven't been able to get back together. It's another band that's had a lot of different members and and sort of shifting lineups and stuff. But um, we're bringing it back 2023 for sure. Otherwise, uh, I had a band prior to Bowhammer immediately prior that was called Gradius with some friends that was like a tech death sort of uh, grind kind of thing. I can't really take too much credit for that. Uh, those guys, the, the Fletcher brothers had that project since like middle school or something. They just brought me on, you know, to like basically play bass on a bunch of songs that were already written. And we wrote some together, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of bands, um, people's paths diverge and we didn't really end up doing much with those other songs that got written. I had another band called Ambition Burning. It was like a three piece like hardcore punk band, like maybe influenced by like Dead Kennedys, Bad Brains, that era of stuff, that speed of stuff with some like heavy kind of stoner parts and some blast beat parts, <laughs> that sort of thing um just basically again whatever we wanted to write (laughs) that we had going for a number of years and it was again a thing of like we did one album and played a bunch of local shows but didn't really tour too much and it kind of folded so like a lot
0: of crossover in your material
1: (laughs) i guess that's true a lot of
0: blending of styles
1: i hadn't really thought of it that way but yeah i guess that is true i i i listen to all genres of music so Uh, It makes sense, you know? I mean, I feel like even if you're like, I'm going to write something of this style, naturally, this other stuff is going to come out in it, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. So when did uh, Fauxhammer come into existence? You know, can you kind of talk about that and sort of like, you know, what were the early days of the band like?
1: Gradius had come to an end and we were just kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs. So uh, me and my friend... Um, Ben, well, me and Ben and Joe, who were the original lineup of the band, uh, we started getting together on some Black Sabbath covers, actually, um, just for the heck of it, and we had our friend Haley doing vocals, and, um, you know, we were just not with any intention of doing anything serious, but just kind of woodshedding it in the basement, and we kind of would, like, heavy them up to an extent, you know, (laughs) like some of the riffs we'd play super slow or really heavy chords or that kind of stuff you know not that sabbath is not the heaviest to begin with anyway um so after we kind of did that as long as we felt like doing it um and haley had to move on ben and i started like just jamming some like we're like let's finally do the like super crushing slow band we always meant to do and before the first show uh, Joe was like hey I want to be in it too. Um, so we just like worked it up real quick. I think we had a month and our first show was um, I ran a, a house show a show house at the time uh, called the cellar door and um, our friends Holly hunt uh, were on tour from Florida. Uh, So that was our first show was with uh, Holly Hunt at my place. That's a band, you know, for me, that that means something because it's a band and people that I admire greatly um, and who I've, you know, I would say become good friends with in the years since then.
0: It's funny. Like, I've had a question here. It's like, what made you do away with guitars? But you have you still have guitars. (laughs) So we'll ignore that.
1: I can kind of answer that, though, in in the opposite way, I guess what really happened was i mean without getting into it too much but i mean people's priorities maybe move on or are different or people grow apart or, or what have you so i don't want to get too much into it but ben left the band and joe invited our other friend ben ben price um who we knew from a band that we were friends with and that we toured with actually called elagabalus is Ben and our friend Dustin, um, who we love a lot. So we had already toured with them. We knew Ben was a sick drummer. Uh, Joe didn't even ask me before he asked him to join. He just said, hey Ben, you wanna play with us? And Ben said, yes, you guys are one of my favorite bands in the area. Like definitely. Um, But we weren't even asking like, did he want to join the band? It was like, we had a show booked and we needed a drummer. We agreed to fill in and then it went so well that he just stuck around. Fast forward, you know, a year um, and Joe, I mean, Joe just really wasn't feeling it anymore and he moved on. So and it was, again, a situation where we had a show um, and I actually played that first show on bass. But I did a thing where I did a bass through an octave up into like a guitar amp to give it a little more breadth and body to mm-hmm. the sound. And it was cool. but It was kind of like a, I almost want to say it was a really like clanky kind of, industrial sounding kind of thing it was cool but it was not really what i was going for we were getting ready to do another show and like a week before that show i was like let me just try it the other way around i have the equipment what if i did guitar and and did an octave down into a bass amp the first minute i tried it that way it was like no question that that's how we had to do it going forward because it was so much heavier Uh, it's just like you know my jaw dropped immediately like okay well (laughs) scrap that and i'm just going to practice this up i had a week and i just practiced it up on the guitar and got it ready Mm -hmm. and so that's basically what i do now though i've gone through like a number of iterations of the pedals that i do it with like a lot of different iterations but i've kind of landed on the same thing for about the past year now
0: I mean like I remember like popping it on and I was just like oh shit I haven't listened to one of these bands in a while I was like fuck these guys are so heavy <laughs> it's just like like it's just it, it's just it hits you with such a wallop you know it's uh, it kind of reminds me of um Body Void you know it's like that same level of just like holy shit this is fucking
1: brutal well thank you so much I really really appreciate that and um to hopefully be able to do that. It's just a two-piece, you know, I mean, there's so many bands that I've seen that have been two-piece bands that just blew my head off to be able to hopefully even like start to aspire to something like that is really, you know, gratifying.
0: You, uh, you took the name from uh, Gandalf's sword, um, you know, in the Hobbit, he finds it in a troll's cave, which is very like, very much like a side quest. You know, you go in a cave, you do a thing, you, like, oh, what's this? I found this fucking badass sword. I'm going to keep this. Maybe uh, hawk it for some dough down the way. Obviously, he didn't do that. But, I mean, I'm, I'm in the midst of another playthrough of Skyrim, so I'm just, like, getting ready to, like, sell the shit out of all this stuff that I've been, like, looting from caves and dungeons and shit. Why did you settle on uh, Glamdring? Or, sorry, why did you settle on Foehammer?
1: <laughs> I guess
0: it's technically not wrong.
1: <laughs> you can say it in the Elvish if you want, man. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, the... What made me go with that? I mean, it was honestly, Lord of the Rings was a really, really big thing for me. I mean, my like, my mother read that to me in bed when I was barely old enough to read. And then going forward, obviously I grew up in the eighties. So the like Rankin Bass productions of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings were on all the time in our house. Um, so it's just kind of omnipresent. And I remember like even the lead up to the films and like I read the trilogy again, um, just, you know, like to be ready when the films came out. And I, I guess I was, I think I was 21 when the first film came out. Uh, I was already, you know, skeptical. <laughs> like, well, there's no way it can be as good as the book. <laughs> so um, I don't know at what point in my 20s, but I was like, there needs to be a really heavy band called Bowhammer. And then, so then when, when it was time to do that band, it was just the natural, like, well, that's going to be a bow hammer for sure. No question.
0: It's a, it is very metal. It's just like, it just makes you think of something. It's like just some dude yeah. holding, like, a weapon, just being like, and putting down some some bad guy.
1: Yeah, like a faux hammer, you know? That's just, it is, it's just brutal. <laughs> I think so. I, I always thought so. And, I mean, it's just, like, it's also, like, almost, like, inspiring, you know, like, to, like, hammer your your foes in any way that that, I don't know, whatever you take that to mean, you know? Maybe you have, like, a toxic office s- situation or something, or I don't know.
0: It's <laughs> just badass. It just, like, works. And, and it's it's also funny, too, because, like, Gandalf isn't, like, the most brutal dude in The Lord of the Rings, but, you know, he can still handle his sword as well as anyone else.
1: Well, and I mean, honestly, if Gandalf is going to have a sword, I mean, that's like the the one to have. It's almost right. like it's meant to happen or something. So that's how a lot of that stuff in that book is kind of, you know, it's like prophecy and destiny and all those, um, all those attributes.
0: <laughs> I mean, I got to say, I actually really like the uh, cartoon version of The Hobbit. I think it looks cool as hell. Um, kind of hard to go wrong with uh, what's his name as Gandalf, I, I, uh, I, I, John I, Houston.
1: John Houston, I, you stumped me on that one. I, I I would not have pulled that name out, and I I don't honestly think I know who that is.
0: Oh, he's like a old timey actor. Uh, he made, I mean, he directed a lot of movies too, like back in like the fifties, and uh, he was in Chinatown opposite J- Jack Nicholson and. A, a, gajillion other fucking movies and like he's got a bunch of kids they're all like actors too so but I, yeah he was the voice of Gandalf I believe in that but I like that movie a lot the smog looks cool as hell I uh only saw the first Hobbit the, the new ones and I did not like it
1: in my opinion it's really unfortunate it's not that it's terrible it's not that there's not good work in it and I mean that's kind of the thing about movies right so you have like how many people worked on this movie like thousands of people right mm-hmm. like a lot of those people did a really good job but like from a storytelling standpoint it's crap and i mean i mean you just look at the source material you know like lord of the rings we took three pretty long books and we made it into three pretty long movies <laughs> with one pretty short book you could probably read in like three to four hours if you wanted to and now we're going to make it into 12 hours worth of film. <laughs> so I like, know.
0: They well, already like, like successfully shrunk it down to one cartoon movie, too. How did you fuck this up?
1: <laughs> really silly. And I mean, me and my friends were honestly like kind of champing at the bit when those movies came out. But it was like we were really excited when the first one was coming out. The second one came, was coming out. We were like not quite as excited. And the third one, we just fell off entirely, we didn't go see it at all in the theater, <laughs> and I did eventually see it, but I will just say, and I'll dig it up right now, that there is a thing called that you can find online called the Tolkien Edit of the Hobbit films it's the Tolkien Edit and I, I'm at a loss, I, mean, I have to I have to Google here real fast who the group was that were responsible for that, but they basically did like a magic trick and they edited out the characters that they made up and put in that movie and they edited out all the filler crap that wasn't in the book and they basically made they took those three films they condensed it down to like a four and a half hour movie that works that is basically fairly adherent to tolkien's you know story at least if not vision so, you know, I, I, I think that's the way to watch it <laughs> um, and not waste 12 hours of your life <laughs> on some, like, you know, major Hollywood BS. But that's the way I live. You know, I'm not, whatever other people enjoy, you know, I'm not trying to piss on that. If you like the Hollywood films, people are allowed to like things. So uh, that's okay.
0: <laughs> no, I yeah. hear you. That actually sounds really interesting. I might look into it. I might not. I don't know. I mean, I have read the books. I like the books. Um, and I like the movies a lot, actually. Um, I rewatched them for the first time in a while. Like on those old big collections they put out, those really nice DVD ones, like in the nice different color boxes and whatnot. And I had never watched the Lord of the Rings extended, uh or or uh, or I'm sorry, I had never watched Return of the King extended, and I Never finished two towers. So I was like, oh, I'll fucking knock this out. I'm unemployed at the time, so <laughs> and uh, I really like those movies a lot for the most part. I have some problems with Return of the King, but uh, I do like them a ton. And I I don't know if I'm gonna watch the new show. I heard mixed things. So as someone who's a deeper fan of the source material, you know where you know where does this sort of stack up for you? Is it worth a metalhead's time? <laughs>
1: Uh, Wow, okay, so I guess I kind of worried that somebody was going to ask me about that. Rings of Power, I've watched, honestly, about half of the series now, which is really disgraceful. I should have just binged it all the first day, I suppose, but I haven't done that. Does that say something about the material? I don't know, not really. It really says more about the amount of time I've had (laughs) lately um, for watching TV and stuff like that. Um, I think it's really good. Like it's really good. Objectively, it's really good. Visually, stunning. I think the acting is great, but like it doesn't make it not a fan fiction. Right. Because they're
0: take, they are taking like some liberties with it, right? And they because they couldn't do stuff with the Jackson movies.
1: It's basically all liberties. Um yeah. really like so yeah, I can get a little nerdy about this. Uh, so the only thing that they have the rights to is the appendices to the Lord of the Rings books. Mm-hmm. That's They can't talk about the main story of the Lord of the Rings. They can't talk about the Silmarillion, only like in tertiary form. They can use characters from the Silmarillion, but they cannot use characters that only exist in the Silmarillion, for instance. So that's pretty much left them it is the second age is the only era that they're really allowed to speak on much of the second age in the Tolkien mythology is empty. I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of years worth of time it is, but it's a long time and not much happens in it.
0: <laughs> so they were just like, all right, well, fuck it. We're changing it up.
1: <laughs> so they can really just be like, okay, well, we got to have Numenor in there you know, we got to have Galadriel in there because she's a super ancient being. Sauron's rise to power is, is during that. And that is honestly like, that's a reason for however many seasons they've decided to make this show for, as far as I'm concerned. I have I have really high hopes for it. But it's again, you just have to go into it with the mindset of like, this isn't like Tolkien, you know, purity or, or something like that. This is fan fiction. It's going to look cool. It's going to be fun. But I feel like people have this idea that, like, okay, well, like, I'm a Star Wars fan. Now a Star Wars movie has come out that doesn't match my vision of what Star Wars should be. So now my childhood is ruined. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just think that that's a really juvenile way of looking at things. You can you can enjoy Rings of Power and be like, that doesn't take away any of my enjoyment from reading the book. Or that doesn't take away enjoyment of my watching, you know, the original peter jackson trilogy because they're just separate things you know if somebody makes something in a franchise i don't like it well then i don't have to watch it
0: yeah oh yeah the way that people get worked up about a lot of over a lot of different things it's not just you know lord of the rings it's all kinds of whatever you want to call media content entertainment people have horrible takes on this shit (laughs) it's so (laughs) entitled it's just like Good, you know, like, I, I try not to get as upset about some of this stuff. You know, sometimes people do fuck it up. You know, they do fuck things up. It's not that that doesn't happen. In this case, you know, you just see some, like, you just see some ugly behavior coming out from people. And it's just not cool.
1: No, and truthfully, like, I'm an old fogey. I'm still on Facebook. That's uh, stupid or whatever, but I do. I like it for the groups. And I was on a number of, like, Middle Earth groups. Uh, Lord of the Rings groups, and truthfully, I left them all in the pre- in the lead up to this uh, Rings of Power, because I was just tired of it, just tired of seeing it, um, tired of reading this virulent crap every day from these, like, supposed fans. Um, it's just like, you know, if you don't think it's going to match what you think that it should be, then just don't consume it, and don't give it your time, and and honestly promotion by talking about it all the time it's just so backwards, it's just such a backwards way of thinking in my opinion.
0: Well, to bring it back to uh, your band though, um, your music also has like some lore to it, which is always fun. Um, So like, you know, what is the kind of, can you talk about the story or the lore and like, you know, for you, what are the challenges of writing like a quote unquote narrative in song format, you know, I know there's like the concept album, and it's not that it's like unheard of, but in this, you know, like th- this to me feels like you know, you're trying to build like uh, some kind of epic, you're trying to you know, build the groundwork for a world, so to speak. So, like, it's got to be different than like I'm sitting down and just like writing down a bunch of details.
1: It, it is, I mean, you said, like, how do I avoid the difficulty with that? And I would say I avoid it by really just avoiding writing it out. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, what it is, is like through the course of the records, the material, I mean, you can't just write like Tolkien references forever, right? I mean, you could.
0: People have.
1: You could, but I I don't want to be that guy. I love Tolkien, don't get me wrong, but I don't want his work to define my work, you know? Uh, So at a certain point, like we got to branch off from this. So, I mean, that was really from the beginning, it was not all about Tolkien. We had like some songs that are direct references, obviously Stormcrow Crow is like very direct Lord of the Rings reference um, to the point of almost being written from the Wiki or something like that. But like we had to branch out. And so there's other songs that are referential of other things. And then there's other songs that are following like a mage character that I have that is not, doesn't have a name. Maybe he really doesn't have a name, but it just basically this, this character has gone through some trials and tribulations, a lot of which is trying to like find himself. And so if you read sort of through the albums and you read through the songs that are not an overt reference to some other work, a lot of it is, is based in this kind of like fantasy world that I have in my head um that takes a lot of cues truly from like ursula Le Guin and the Earthsea books um of which another there's like an overt reference song on our new record we wrote that and then she passed away before the record came out and i sadly like didn't put a, a dedication to her in the in the liner notes because they were already finished yeah i never wanted to do a thing where it's like well let's do a concept album i kind of think that's kind of silly and overdone and you know like hearkening back to like prog rock or something like that which i love prog rock uh, i don't want to like try to recreate it like whether some of that will become more fleshed out in the future um definitely remains to be seen but i like i definitely still want to keep writing you know, music that has a, a dark fantasy theme to it so Surely there will be more chapters to come in the future. But I mean, I've always been one of those people that I don't want to try to tell people what the lyrics mean, because I feel like you, you read the lyrics and it evokes something to you. I don't want to come after and go, no, 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 no. That's not what it was about. It was about this. And then have that be ruined for the for the viewer or the consumer or the whatever you want to call it, the person that's receiving the art. You know, uh, uh, that leads to a bigger question to me of like art in general <laughs> and the way it's viewed and the way it's consumed. But, you know, it's like once you've made your art and it's out in the world, you can't really take it back. And it's just up to whoever hears it or sees it, reads it to interpret it in their own way. Um, I wouldn't want somebody to read some of my lyrics and take some sort of really personal meaning to it. And then, I mean, not that you would, I don't know that you could do that with my lyrics, but, you know, it, it, if you could, I don't want to stomp on that.
0: Right, of course. I felt like, because uh, I went back and listened to your stuff today, um, you know, the like the early material is just like super fucking heavy and like plodding. But with Monumentum, it's got like, you know, it's got certainly got that heaviness but maybe it's like a tad bit less abrasive. You know, it's got like, um, like for me, the second half of the record, like that's where it really shines. I like that you put in some synth, kind of like layered it over those tracks. It's like just a really nice, fine texture. Like I kind of felt like Second Sight was like very like much more of a like dreadful album, uh, so to speak. So like, were you trying to do a specific sound, uh, you know, on the new one, or try something a little bit different? And then, like, in regards to what the what it's like based on, like, would you say that like maybe there's like a level of optimism more in Monumentum, kind of like based on the source material?
1: Interesting uh, observations, and and thank you for your compliments. There was there a conscious effort to broaden the sound. Yes. Was it super conscious and like forced? Hopefully not, you know? Another aspect that I want to say too is that none of these records were written by me as like sole songwriter. I'm not mm-hmm. that person. Um, I guess I could do that. I don't find that very interesting uh, to collaborate with other musicians. So like the early, early material, you know, like, like two thirds of the first EP was me writing the riffs. So you could say that's pretty much me. I wrote the songs. But Ben wrote the drum parts and I don't think that that's a small contribution either with second sight that was written really collaboratively. Joe wrote riffs on that I wrote riffs on that Ben even wrote riffs on that one, but the I would say that the thing that we were going for as a band at that time was like we just wanted to be as brutal as possible without really a thought for like is this consumable or something (laughs) i don't know i'm not thinking about that now either but it's a different collaborator you know it's ben price who um he is an amazing musician in his own right if you're not familiar he's in a ton of bands immiseration textile mast year are all amazing bands, all totally different. And then he even has his own project called At The Graves, which is like a one man band, really, really cool, like a doomy kind of swans, God flesh kind of thing going on. So he is an amazing songwriter in his own right. It would be a huge mistake for me to not collaborate with him on that. So um, really what you notice on that is that we, we sequence the album in, in chronological order, to be honest with you, mostly chronological order. Um, so Or Embar was written by me years ago. And honestly, the second track, Oblivion, is a Ben Price, like he wrote that himself years ago. And it wasn't until, whatever, 2019, the year leading up to the pandemic, we wrote all the other material you know collaboratively in the room together so some of those were riffs that were just kicking around a little bit but most of it was just bouncing the ball back and forth in the room of like hey what do you think of this and what kind of riff would you write after that and then and just keep going like that and that's my favorite way to work by far um so I i would really say i mean like the the idea of it was to sort of have it be a progression from going from like almost more of the older sound i would consider or remember like more of the older sound but it's a little more progressive and then leading into like the outro is like total i don't know what you want to call it we kind of call it shoegazy like um it changes to like a major key um at the very end there um and just like it's like a super like headphones moment like if anybody is listening to the record if you put it on headphones that uh last song and last part especially uh really benefit from some headphones listening There's a lot of deep stuff going on in there but yeah i mean it's you know try to get back to your original question it was a, it was a bit intentional to to make it a little bit more progressive but mm-hmm. uh, just get bored you know and 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 honestly again like ben would be bored with that too I, I wanted to even before ben joined the band i was like we need to get some more dynamics going for lack of a better term, in terms of tempo, in terms of volume, in terms of everything.
0: And then uh, the other question was about, were you trying to change the, did the sound reflect any of the like source material in that? Cause I mean, I think, I haven't read any Ursula K. Le Guin, but just based on how people responded when she passed away and like kind of having just like only a cursory knowledge of like her works does seem a bit less, no less high stakes, but certainly a bit less uh dramatic <laughs> than Lord of the Rings.
1: Ursula the Guin, I mean, I would just say from the start that she was just a beam of light that we were probably not, you know, privileged enough to have on this earth as long as we needed her. But that being said, Orum Embar, which is the song which is based off of her mythos, is really dark. That's the first song on the record. Mm, it's it's super dark. The the source material for that part is super dark, you know, we're talking about like the, the worlds like mages have lost the ability to do magic and it's like a dark sorcerer. That's like basically like sapping all the magic from the world or something like that. So, um, and Orm Embar is like this really super powerful dragon. And in the, in the Ursula K. Le Guin world, like the dragons, speak their own language they don't really interact with humans unless they have to and this dragon basically like helps sort of the protagonist in this really huge way i don't want to talk about it too much for anyone who hasn't read the books because they're fantastic and you really owe it to yourself to read them uh, especially the earth sea trilogy original Earthsea sea trilogy they're written as young adult novels that's not you always hear people say like oh it's for young adults but it's written at an adult level she really was not writing down. It's just that it maybe doesn't have any like brutal violence or, or sex scenes or anything like that. Right. And they're easy and they're easy reads. Like they just go really quick. But it's really, really great work. And it's just that thing of like each author has like a vibe. And I her vibe, I just really jive with it. Uh, I've read like a lot of her stuff. And yeah, it is, I mean, like it is a little more. I mean, it's a little more optimistic, but but Tolkien was pretty optimistic as well, you know. That's so, true. Somebody said as like a as like a criticism, like, "Oh, well, like the heroes never die in Tolkien's work, but Boromir died." <laughs> <laughs> he did. They didn't die. I guess
0: I would say that, like, my I, I think maybe the reason I think of that is just like so like so much of my like you know, Tolkien consumption is like looking at like heavy metal album covers and like hearing the music and all of that just focuses on like all the the dark, cool shit that's from Lord <laughs> of the Rings, as opposed to like the only people that seem to talk about hobbits are like nerd, like no offense, like <laughs> nerdy people in their like mid 40s who have an appreciation for like drinking tea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or just good food in general.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, sure. Like no, there's. I mean, again, there probably is, but the Hobbit metal bands are not really like the ones uh, bringing in the you know, the the licensing deals.
1: Are there? I don't know. Should I call you on that? There are Hobbit metal bands. Are there? I don't know of them. Which ones are they?
0: I don't know, one? but I'm sure they exist.
1: I want to know about them. I want to know about them. It sounds like they would be cool guys to hang out with. At least you know? I
0: imagine it's a lot. They they probably it's like folk metal it's probably some subsect of folk metal
1: this is yeah well, this is um i we're, we're getting into genres that i would say don't listen to as much <laughs> but maybe
0: uh, possibly going to create
1: <laughs> i'm just gonna say flat out no on that one yeah I, I <laughs> working on any folk metal in the near future personally <laughs>
0: Well, uh, besides the record, uh, do you have anything else in the works right now, you know, both more Fauxhammer any, or any other kind of unique projects or anything like that?
1: I hate to be lame, but I, other than Black Dominia um, starting back up again in 2023, um, there's nothing really solid. I have, like, I have last tally about 80 or so riffs, recorded (laughs) from like the pandemic times, (laughs) which we're still in really, but um, you know, uh, since like January, 2020 through all the various stages of malaise and ennui and everything else that took place in those years and grief, honestly, um, I've recorded a ton of riffs that are of varying quality. (laughs) <laughs> uh and so those will eventually become songs um but it's just it's just about finding the time um and it's just about you know getting to sit down and and like sort of woodshed that um and right now we're kind of focusing on trying to get some touring done um so definitely getting out on the road in 2023 is like our top priority right now um But, like, we'll definitely be working on new material Mm -hmm. um, to follow that up. Like, it's not going to be another (laughs) three years or four years, whatever it's been since the last record. Uh, Well, have you
0: been uh, listening to anything lately that you've been really enjoying? Whether new or
1: old? If I answer that question, it's going to be really dorky, and it's going to be really not, it's not cool in any way. (laughs) So I'll just like run down. I will just run down what I've been listening to a lot lately. I've been listening to a lot of ABBA. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of the new Voivod record. It was good. I liked it. Fantastically amazing. I've been listening to the Alice in Chains Dirt reissue that came out on vinyl. It just sounds so sick. If you're a fan of that record, it really sounds freaking amazing. Over the past, Two years I've listened to like an astounding amount of three bands or three acts: King Crimson, Oingo Boingo, and Prince, <laughs> of which I've gotten to see King Crimson. I sadly never saw Prince, and probably will never see Oingo Boingo. Aside from that, like metal-wise, I really love the miasmatic necrosis record. Um, I don't know if you've heard that, they're phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to a show coming up on the 17th in DC that's sold out, that's uh, Antichrist Siege Machine, Miasmatic, Necrosis, uh, Thantif, Paxath, and Triac are like all just, I mean, that's just, that is a non-stop lineup. Aside from that, I really love the band Wormed uh, from Spain. They're a really amazing tech death band. Um, they're supposedly working on a new record. I'm really stoked to hear that. Their EP they put out, I want to say it was last year, was really just mind dro- uh, mind blowing, jaw dropping, mind dropping, <laughs> <laughs> jaw blowing, <laughs> whatever you want to say, some superlative.
0: <laughs> worm. I was like, oh, worm from Spain. Oh, not from Florida. Not a different worm.
1: Wormed, not worm. Oh, yeah, wormed. Worm. Oh,
0: wormed.
1: Yeah, like in the past tense, wormed. I think they're on Candlelight. They put out a couple like really, really amazing, amazing albums of this kind of like through composed death metal madness. I mean, they're just crazy.
0: Nice. Well, let's see what I've been listening to. It's been a little bit since I've recorded, so a little little bit of a, of a list here. I listened to Uh, Claudio Simonetti's prog rock redux uh, of the Suspiria soundtrack because I went to go see Claudio Simonetti's Goblin do Suspiria live, which was fucking incredible.
1: That's amazing. Uh,
0: Yeah, I I feel like I've mentioned it maybe, but I I don't think I did. But uh, yeah, that was so fucking good. Um, One of my favorite shows of the year for sure. And then they did like a set. Uh, Obviously, Foehammer. Uh, my friend Chris from Sunrot, and he also does convex printing, made a really badass playlist of uh, Godflesh tracks, which is great because they have like a pretty big discography. Uh, so this was like, you know, someone who spent a lot of time listening to them and listening to the best of the best.
1: I just want to pipe up because that's my good friend Chris. A. He used to play at a band called Thera Roya. Uh, we toured with them for a couple of weeks uh, back in, I want to say, twenty. 20- 2015 2016 one of those years um in the before times um and uh i just i love him so much so i just want to say hi chris appreciate you and that that playlist is amazing i checked it out
0: yeah chris is great i mean i love sunra I I just everything about them is great
1: yeah amazing bad amazing people uh like far none they're they're super great super big ups to them I
0: did listen to the. I've never listened to J.K. Flesh before, so I did check out the new album. Um, it's. I mean, it's not really like my thing, and it's very different than Godflesh, So I would probably have to check out some more of it. Um, what is it? End. It's like Justin Broderick's like, uh, like electronic side project called J.K. Flesh.
1: J.K. Flesh. Yeah, I I love him and I and I love his work, but I've not heard of that, and I I I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to check it out to to make a decision. What else I listened to? I listened to the band Fell Ruin, just like Black and Death. Uh I checked out or check out. I was I went and listened to asthma Castle, uh, their album, Mount crushmore uh fucking rules. I love it. It's like perfect yeah. sludgy doom.
1: Absolutely. Again, those are those are really cool guys too that we know. Um I Bohammer has not played with them, but Dominia has actually played with them. Okay. Um, and yeah, what an excellent band, an excellent bunch of guys and really excellent album for sure. I
0: uh, went back and listened to the clutch's self-titled album, King Crimson's Red, uh, Porcupine Trees, Fear of a Black Planet. My love for that band's kind of waned since college, but that is a good record. Russian Circles, uh, I went and listened to M-Pros, Candle Candlemask, the new Candlemask record, Sweet Evil Sun, was a lot of fun, Sixteen's got a new record out, Galpa's got a new record out, um, they're like a psych rock band, from, I forget from where, somewhere in Europe, and uh, listened to Carcass's Heartwork ahead of going to see them with, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second, and a bunch of Mastodon and Alan Parsons project during Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, I said that's a great list of stuff there.
0: Yeah. And then uh, just some shows that I've uh, been going to. Like I mentioned, the Goblin Show. I I kind of alluded to it, but Merciful Fate. I missed Creator and Midnight just because of work and shit, but Merciful Fate was fucking fantastic. And, you know, pretty much everybody just said the same shit about it. Uh, Very drunk dude at that show. Um, (laughs) Like, obnoxiously drunk. (laughs) It was ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> um, I went to go see uh, Undeath, 200 Stab Wounds, Enforced, and Phobophilic at St. Vitus. Great death metal bill. Good old Standbys, Weed Eater, uh, and Telekinetic Yeti, and Donnie Doolittle at St. Vitus. Glorious Depravity was supposed to play with them too, but they had to drop off or something. And then uh, we went to go see Obituary and Carcass and Namana Marth at Hammerstein Ballroom. And let me tell you, that was not a great evening <laughs> because I missed all of Cattle Decapitation because they went on at 6.15. Who the, f- not, I'm I'm not Cattle Decapitation, but who the fuck makes a band go on at 6.15?
1: Lane promoters.
0: <laughs> a lot of Valknuts, a lot of bursam shirts, and like, <laughs> Such a muted response for Carcass. It was, like, they were great. Like, they put on a great show. They sounded fantastic. Obituary was fantastic, too. But, like, honestly, the audience may as well have been asleep. There were a bunch of people dressed up like Vikings, and, like, I use that term loosely. And Like, I've never seen so many fucking Arch Enemy shirts before, either. <laughs> and we were gonna stay for just one El song, just to, like, you know see the big boat or whatever, but we tried to like move to the back of Hammerstein and we basically got crushed in a fucking total fire hazard of a crowd rush to get to the bathroom or get beer or merch. And it was it just turned into uncomfortable shoving, like where you're not really sure that it's even the person behind you doing it, it's like the three people behind you. And we got separated, and as soon as we got back together, she was just like quoted aliens. Was like, "We are leaving." So, uh, you know what I gotta say about a Monarch? Fuck that venue.
1: We have to nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way. To be- <laughs> no,
0: there
1: was like, a, there was, like I mean, a British
0: guy that like left, and he was like right behind us, and he just went, "Holy shit! What a fucking shithole! Never coming to this fucking place again." <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I I'm not like I have no horse in this race at all. I, I will say they are a Tolkien reference band, so in that respect, they get some respect. Oh, yeah, for
0: that's true.
1: Automatically. Just,
0: like, uh-oh. Maybe I should cut this part
1: out. <laughs> and also, and also, I'll just say I didn't. I was not. Aware, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. But I, I was not aware they have a big boat. That sounds pretty cool. But uh, I don't. You know. it's Also silly. But I mean, like what? Like you know jesus priest you know, he rides like a motorcycle on stage it's about the same level of cheese probably um
0: <laughs> it's kind of you know, funny they have like they'll get like 30 people like on it like other oh, people in bands like people from the crowd and i'm like that's kind of fun
1: but also when you're when you're viking metal you're automatically attracting a unsavory crowd in my opinion
0: yeah yeah so that's
1: yeah, that's sad because I'm really into the Viking mythology and the Norse mythology, and I mean, like, we have a song about about Jotnar, you know, that's totally a huge part of me. But it's just unfortunate that a lot of that stuff has been co-opted by white supremacists.
0: Yeah, no, it sucks. It's it's awful.
1: That's the yeah. same thing you get is like just very white, you know.
0: Yeah. It just, I don't know, it just given how, like, shitty the people were that were, like, just pushing and shoving and just being, like, generally, like, rude, and then just, like, how everybody was just so mashed in there that, like, if you started, like, pushing, like, you could probably, like, throw people over, piss people off, like, start a fight. I don't know. It was just, like, the it was just the vibes were just comp- not good there, and uh, it doesn't help that, like, I generally do not like Hammerstein Ballroom. Like, the security is really strict. The sound was fucking dog shit uh, for Torch and Converge when I was there for the Meshuggah show, which was just like, this sucks. Like, I, this is the first time i am seen Converge, like, and he has no mic channeling through. Like, come on. Like, that's not cool. So uh, I don't like that venue.
1: No, that's horrible. I've never been there. I've been to New York a, a lot of times, I'd say, but I've actually never attended a show there. Do you think that maybe some of that thing with the crowd was that they oversell the venue?
0: They very well could have. It was just odd because like I think Meshuggah was sold out too. But you didn't run into that problem there. Like and everybody kind of moved very accordingly. I didn't have any issues. You got to the bathroom fine. And then that was just like it was it definitely seemed like that they didn't oversell it like where like the st- like the seated areas were filled up but certainly the GA was oversold like it just was disturbingly like packed in there
1: I've just been in situations like that and it's just it's already scary just from a like an instinctual standpoint of like where it's about to be a stampede that's terrifying and then I mean especially in light of the Travis Scott tragedy that happened and these concert promoters just basically i think like wiping their hands of the whole thing it's just scary out there you got people like crowd killing nowadays and it's just you really got to have your wits about you uh when you're in a crowd like that now and it's i mean it's but it's really really irresponsible you know obviously i can't say if hammerstein's doing it was really irresponsible for venues to uh, to oversell things and like those max capacities are there for a very good reason Like you can't just do like they did in the seventies with the Ramones and just pack the venue until it's literally completely full of people is what happens if there's a fire, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It could have like just gone South. I'm not saying it reached those levels, but like it started to feel like it was getting to that point, you know? And then all it takes is one person to like shove somebody down the stairs. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well, you know, what happened? So all the other venues that I've, been to in new york i've never it's been like i've even at the garden i've never experienced and that's a place that holds probably five times the many as many people as hammerstein something like that like at least a you know double or triple and i would have never had that problem take a while to get out of there but then like you know even at a tiny place like saint vitus like Yeah, it gets rowdy, but if there's a pit, that that room clears out. People gotta move. You know, people gotta catch some air or whatever. Like, I've never had issues there, or Irving Plaza, or Webster Hall, Poussin Rouge, like, none of these places, and then that place was just like, nope. (laughs) So, metal bands, don't tour there. I don't like that place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If they, if Jake Bannon's vocals were not audible, I mean, that's a problem.
0: And worse, like, torches, and I've already complained about this, but like, Steve Brooks is like, just his guitar tone was like all over the place.
1: It was just, it but was just I mean, I, I've seen like so many shows at major venues. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen so many shows at major venues and the sound was horrible. I, I just wonder, is there just like a dearth of talent? Is there a lot of like nepotism, like getting people these positions type of thing? Um, but it's just, I can't tell you how many shows I've seen just The most recent, I saw this band called Otoboke Beaver, who are like a crazy uh, Japanese, like experimental punk rock band. Really, really cool. If you're into anything like that, definitely check them out. Um, But I saw them at like, I'll say a major venue, really major venue owned by like one of the major conglomerates that are doing these types of things now. And the sound was total ass. And I can just tell you straight up, it's like they were running these subs like super high and so you know i'm standing like where you know we're standing by the stage i'm like okay well let me go a little further back in the room you know to get a better mix and it didn't make any difference at all it sounded like total crap you can't hear the guitars because the bass drum and the like sub frequencies of the bass are just crowding out everything else you know i've experienced that a lot where it's like the sound person must just think, oh, well, if we just run the bass really high, that's going to make it sound good. Not the case. No, absolutely not. You get no definition, you know. I mean, bass is only audible down to a certain frequency anyway. <laughs> You're like lower than a certain number of hertz and it's not, it's not even audible. You're just feeling it, which is cool if it's a, you know, if it's like club music. Right. Or EDM or something like that. But this is, I mean, this is metal, especially a lot of it's like complicated, you know, intricate sounds and it just gets like i saw napalm death one time and it just was i don't know if they tore with their own sound person or what because the rest of the show sounded great and then napalm death came on and it was just more of this like all you can hear is the bass drum yeah i love that band of death and it's like what song are they even playing i mean <laughs> there's a certain aspect to that with grindcore anyway but if you really know the band's material you can't even tell what it is because it's just so like farty that's not good <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that was the one thing that they had going for them the other night was that they had like carcass and Obituary sounded great. Everything sounded really, really, really like dialed in, which is like kind of weird considering like how kind of like chonky obituary is. But, you know, the one thing I do notice at every single venue is that the snare is always way too loud when the when the band starts like carcass came on and it was just like ding, 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 ding.
1: (laughs) Well, that's unfortunate, but it sounds like at least they they dialed it in eventually.
0: Yeah, it, it did get fixed. So, And, you know, I was, like, happy to finally see, like, full sets from both of those bands because I had some uh, timing issues with uh, Maryland Death Fest, but that's a whole other story. Is there anything, uh, you know, obviously, you know, new album out. Uh, you can go get it. And it, I'm assuming over at, like, your band camp or whatever. But is there anything else you want to plug or let people know where they can find it?
1: Physical media, you want to go to uh, silentpendulumrecords.bandcamp.com. All the all the physical media is available there, as well as T-shirts. We've got a cool long sleeve designed by Forum Terror Growth, A.K.A. Fred, from a ton of great bands out of Philly. Uh, we also have another great T-shirt design uh, by eBay Arafin out of Indonesia, which is amazing artist did the did the sun. Uh, Sunrot Sonata cover you might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. So, um, and those are both available there as well. And I mean, the record is on every streaming service imaginable if you just want to listen to it. So, like, without naming names, it's on all of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, indulging in uh, some nerdy fantasy talk.
1: Um, I also wanted to mention that I did actually. Uh, Find that link. It is for the Tolkien edit. If you wanted to check it out of the of the Hobbit movies, it is Tolkieneditor.wordpress.com is the guy's website, and he talks about it. I also wanted to mention, Dylan. I really appreciate you and that you really obviously took your time with the new record and took your time with our material and um, really came up with a lot of thoughtful interview questions and. I like always can nerd out about Tolkien. That could be like another whole show. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm not. I'm not even like scratching the surface of somebody like a Stephen Colbert or something. That it's just like you know, there's so much you can you can delve into there. But I would say I, as a recommendation, there's this great book I've been reading called um, Into the Imaginal Realm. I'm forgetting the author's name. Sorry, by Becca Tarnas, Journey to the Imaginal Realm by Becca Tarnas is a reader's guide to The Lord of the Rings, thoroughly recommend if you're a Tolkien nerd. Um, It really opened up a lot of ways of thinking about it um, for me, having already read it probably a dozen times or more, and and, and art by um, Eric Moonheart Roper, uh, who did all, (laughs) all the High on Fire cover art, the. Um, original dope smoker cover art, all that stuff. Um, so cool, little kind of like crossover gem there.
0: Well, I mean, I he's like basically my favorite artist, so uh, that's so, like an easy. That's an easy sell for me.
1: <laughs> but you gotta check this book out. It's really, really cool. I mean. Um, Becca Tarnas, a PhD, she's a PhD in Tolkien (laughs) and um, she really does an amazing job of making you think of aspects that you wouldn't necessarily think of and also talks a lot about how Tolkien sort of got his stories from, in his opinion, he was not writing them, he was accessing them, another realm, that's what she's talking about, the imaginal realm, imaginal sounds like it's a made-up word, but she goes into that as well, it's really not. means something different than imaginary and what that's referencing is that he had he would to write his books he sort of would enter what he considered a realm called fairy and all of his stories from farmer Giles of ham to rover random to the hobbit to the lord of the rings all of that came from this other world that he would mentally like transport himself to gets into things like You know, for instance, he would say like the character of Faramir was like a total surprise to him that he just showed up and he didn't know what he was there for um, until he later found out what he was there for and what his purpose was in the story. That sort of thing.
0: I feel like I've heard of that before or something like that or just like when I was reading about Lord of the Rings or some shit like that. Like I remember reading like he would he didn't know what to really do with it. And then he had like this like sort of like stroke of. know genius i guess and that's sort of like what that is it's like a weird
1: uh you know he's just i think one of those inscrutable minds you know where it's like um you're like oh well he was just writing these as like stories for his his son you know but then you're like yeah but he also came up with like what five languages on his own and then said like, oh, these stories are just a vehicle for the languages. But then you've also created like probably one of the greatest literary works of all time. I mean, you know what? The Lord of the Rings trilogy is the greatest mm-hmm. selling book ever, under the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, but it was just as a vehicle for this language that I made up. It's like not really a, it's not really a fair <laughs> explanation either. You know, but it's just I think he was working on on multiple different levels. And then I mean, that's on top of like fighting in World War One. You know. I just like, do people exist like that now? I don't know if they do.
0: Mm, certainly in a different capacity. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I, um, I'm glad that you had a pleasant experience here. i um, happy to make you feel welcome and whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, as long as you're making fucking heavy ass crushing, cool ass shit, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm there to check it out.
1: <laughs> I I appreciate that so much, man. It's really been fun. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to nerd out about all this stuff and nobody ever asked me about things like my lyrics or my or my mythos or anything like that. So um it's really, really greatly, greatly appreciated. So much so.
0: Check out Phil Hammer, check out Monumentum, and uh, you know, go throw up some some uh, what's currency in
1: Lord of the Rings?
0: Is there a currency? <laughs>
1: wow that's a stumper right there <laughs> i don't believe i can come up with the denomination i think that's just gonna have to be a question for next time
0: yeah well i i don't know i guess throw up some septums for all you uh skyrim fans out there what i'm gonna go do now i'm gonna go uh kill some more things and steal some more treasure um uh, and kill some more vampires that'll do it for this chapter of the diary <laughs> my partner's watching a streamer that does a lot of screaming
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i can hear it right now
1: it's very funny it's okay i was like right before you had me right before you brought me on i was like are we doing laundry why are we doing laundry right now <laughs> and i didn't know like the way the the app makes it look it's like they're gonna put you on the broadcast any moment so be ready and i'm thinking like it's gonna be mid-show and here's Jay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no.
0: I just—I actually had to clear out some space in my in the storage for this thing. So that—that's why I was—that's what I was trying to um, awkwardly get across before. Well, <laughs> when I first I'm, got on.
1: I'm I'm storage space clearing worthy. I feel so uh, <laughs> grateful for that.
0: Look, everybody's worth my time for a while (laughs) until I have to clear it out.